welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. I'm Richard And today on the show, we're talking about structures, both in terms of the entities you buy in and how you're structuring the mortgage when it comes to these new interest deductibility and tax changes. This is part four of the five-part series. And this episode is going to get a little bit more technical. It's for you proper property nerds out there, but it is very important because they are big changes and not the ones that are being reported in the media because they are a little bit more nerdy. (laughs) So you may have heard that some companies are exempt from interest deductibility. And what I mean by that is there are some companies that are still able to deduct the interest when running the numbers for their tax return on their residential investment properties. So you're probably thinking, well, does that mean that I am able to hide my wee residential properties and carry on as usual? Not really, but in some very, very rare cases, maybe. And actually, the interesting thing here is that over in the UK, remember we spoke about how they enforce this interest deductibility, and they had this exemption for company ownership, and we speculated that maybe something like a look-through company might be considered a company, well, it is a company, so because it's a company, that maybe that would be a tax-deductible expense. Well, there's a little more detail than that. Within the discussion document, they introduce this idea of what's called a close company. So a close company is where there are five or fewer shareholders who all up own more than 50% of that company. So if you've got a small group of people who own a large part of that company, then any residential property that they own within that company, no, 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 you're not allowed to claim your interest as a deduction. But if you're a really big company where perhaps there are 11 shareholders or more in total, and five of them all up, if you get any five don't own more than 50%, then they're allowed to claim the interest on their properties in that instance, as long as residential property makes up less than 50% of the assets. So let me just give you an example about Opus. Let's say Opus had more than 10 shareholders in total, and and they all owned an equal share. Well, because in that instance, a lot of the assets are intangible. And so if we bought a couple of houses within the company, assuming we had that many shareholders, then we'd still be able to claim the interest portion when calculating our tax, which would be a beautiful thing. We're going to have to create a whole heap of different Uh, uh, trusts. uh, When you say a beautiful thing, I'm just thinking about 10 of us in the room arguing over (laughs) what size font to use on the new letterhead. 11 Andrew Nichols all wanting to (laughs) be managing director. (laughs) Uh, But this is just to give you an example of some of the structures that are there. So larger companies who own less than 50% of their assets and property, or at least in a residential investment property, will be exempt. So that provides a bit of an opportunity, actually, for some large companies, let's call it something like an Augusta or an Oyster Group, who hold a lot of commercial property, they could go out and buy lots of residential property and write off that interest all day long. Yeah, and start doing syndicates through residential. Maybe we need to do a JV with them and start buying property through there. To be fair, I've looked into syndication for residential so many times, trying desperately to make it work, and I just don't think it does. Yeah, okay, well, maybe we won't do that. Now, there is some other good news coming into structuring. Andrew, take it away. The concept of the rollover relief. So this is where if you've got a property in your name and you decide, hey, I'm actually going to move it into a trust. And so the beneficial ownership isn't actually going to change. It's just a structure change then you can still carry on. Your interest deductibility status doesn't change. 
a la if you've got a property that's you know being phased out or if you've got a brand new property which is exempt and it only works where no payment is made so so no benefit to increasing the mortgage so for example Back in the good old days of the LAQC or the Look Through Company, friends of distant past, if you (laughs) (laughs) we're going back in time, if you moved a property from your name to a Look Through Company, then that would have to happen at the market rate. So, say the the property had gone from three hundred and fifty to seven hundred thousand, that allows you to increase the mortgage to seven hundred thousand. There's an extra three fifty which you can pay down personal debt. Now. You can't do that. You have to carry on the same mortgage amount. It's got to stay the same. But the really interesting thing, the interest deductibility status continues and the Brightline test isn't reset. So that's better than today. So if you moved your property into a different entity today, that's essentially a sale. And so therefore, the Brightline test resets. So something to be very careful of, even if you're outside Brightline at the moment, so there's no trigger of Brightline for increasing that property when you put it into a look-through company or something like that. Having it into a new entity means that the Brightline test starts and that'll be 10 years on an existing property. So this is really, really cool because it even counts for things like parents gifting to children in this instance. So you'll be able to do that without triggering Brightline and having to pay a tax on that capital gain. So you're not going to have to wait 10 years before you restructure. Now, the reason that they're bringing this out was initially the Brightline in particular didn't need to have this sort of rollover because... It was only for two years. So two years went very quickly. You'd just restructure then. Because it's been extended and extended, now this is the time where they say, actually, we need people to be able to move entities or restructure appropriately without them having to worry about such things. We're making it too complicated if we don't include this. But this certainly is really cool because for me... There are certainly properties that just move that into a different structure now, which I wouldn't be able to do before. I'd have yeah. to wait an extra three years. Well, I think of a case where, especially because the bright line is so long now, being 10 years, you know, you think about someone that's, you know, maybe owned a property for a few years. Now they're about to go self-employed and owning the property in their own name is no longer adequate for asset protection. So they need to set up an investment trust. So they want to set that up, but they don't want to reset the bright line because they might have to sell that property in five years time. So being able to move it into a trust, get the benefit of the added protection, having that property in a trust and still not affecting their interest deductibility. I think that's a great result. And then there's some other interesting things. Let's move away from talking about structuring your properties in different entities. And now let's talk more about structuring your mortgage itself. If you've got a deposit... So you've saved an actual cash deposit and a lot of the investors that we work with might do this. They might be diligently saving a deposit towards their next property or at least a part of a deposit. What you'd want to do is take that money and pay it off your personal mortgage, assuming that you've got one, and then use that increased equity or usable equity to borrow 100% against the new build. Again, you know, with some reliance on your house, some reliance on the new investment property. And even if you split bank, the fact that you've paid 100000 onto your mortgage and then borrowed 100000 it's all about the purpose, remember. So if the 100000 is borrowed as a deposit on a rental property, even though you paid it straight off your mortgage after you saved that, then that's a good way of doing it. Now, if you don't have a personal mortgage, and Ed and I were talking about this off air, he said, what would your advice normally be to investors? So at the moment, because interest rates are so low, if someone's paid off their mortgage and they've got 500 grand in the bank, I often tell them if, if they can to borrow the full amount on the investment property, again, 20% against your house, 80% maybe at a second bank against the rental property security, 
That way, all of that money is tax deductible, and then take the 500000 that you were going to put towards investing and put that into a managed fund where you might get 8% return at the moment, say. And so that way, you're getting a better return on your cash, which is still liquid. You have 100% borrowing on the rental property or for interest deductibility standpoint. And yeah, you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too. But let's say that you decide you weren't going to do that and you have an existing investment property, you've got no mortgage on your personal home. If you're saving up a cash deposit for your next property, and let's say you go and decide to purchase a new build, well, what you wouldn't do is you wouldn't use that cash deposit in order to purchase the new build. What you'd do is you'd take the cash, put it against the existing investment property and then borrow against that existing property. Why would you do that? Because you want to stack as much debt as possible against that new build because that interest is going to be tax deductible while shortly any of your existing properties aren't going to be tax deductible. The interest on those properties aren't going to be tax deductible. So when you are structuring your mortgages, you will want as much debt as possible stacked against new builds or farmland or boarding houses or commercial property or any other exempt properties. And again, it always surprises me how diverse different Kiwis portfolios are and the things that people happen to own. There are some of you who will happen to own Australian properties right now. There are some of you who will own some of these exempt properties. Maybe you own a boarding house. Now's the time to stack as much debt as possible against those properties and then use that cash to pay down the mortgages on any existing residential properties. You want to lower down the mortgages on those because that debt is effectively more expensive than the equivalent dollar of debt against an exempt property or, you know, whether that be a new build, commercial property or any of the others that we've previously discussed on the show. So there are interesting things here and just in terms of how you're going to, hey, let's call it what it is, move your money around so that that debt is cheaper than it otherwise would be. This is very, very important to talk about. There is something else as well that I need to talk about, which is that there is a slight change or detail which is going to affect people. So let's say that you purchased an existing property and it was purchased before the 27th of March. So your interest deductions are going to be phased out over time, you know, 75% from October this year, then it'll go down to 50, then 25. You're on that phase out. If you take out any other debt against that property, even though you purchased it before that cutoff date, any new debt is going to be as if you'd purchased the property as of today, under the new regime. No deductions. So no deductions after October the 1st. Now, who does this affect? It affects people who are going to renovate. So if you've got a property and you decide, I'm going to cash flow hack it, I'm going to borrow 60 grand against that property in order to renovate it, after the 1st of October, that additional debt is going to have no tax deductions. So you really want to get the rent up because you're going to be paying that debt as if it was on a existing property that you you're just going to acquired. You're tax on the interest that you, you're paying on that debt. Effectively, yes. Now, just one thing to note there. If, however, you're using that money and you're able to convert the property into something that's now exempt by creating another dwelling, essentially, that's when it becomes different, right? Oh, yes. Actually, it is showing me how complex Mm. these are now that I think about it. There are a couple of ways to make that interest tax deductible. First of all, use it to build another dwelling on the property. So say a minor dwelling, that minor dwelling would be considered a new build. So yep, 
interest would be tax deductible. If you carved the house in two and got a code of compliance certificate because you're turning one dwelling into effectively two, yep, that would then be considered tax deductible. And that's because you would then come under the development exemption. Yes. So there are two different ones in there. I tell you what, accountants are going to be making more and more money, aren't they? Well, the interesting thing was I was really nerding out reading this big like, oh, this is so interesting. This is so interesting. <laughs> and then we call up Matt Harris, who's, you know, is an accountant. And I think, oh, man, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. This is going to be funny. It's like, oh, it's 143 pages. It's too complex. <laughs> you know? He did not say it quite like that. No, it was, it was pretty nice. He said, I'll listen to the podcast and learn then. No, no, no. But the <laughs> the point that I'm trying to get across. Matt's listening to this. Is you know that, Oh, right? I said Hi, Matt. Good. <laughs> But what I want to point out is that these actually are quite hefty changes. That have, you know, of course they are. There's 143 odd pages, but there, there are, are lot lots of twists and turns and complexities. And that you might say, oh well, that additional debt, like we just talked about, isn't going to be tax deductible. Oh, but if you use it in these three scenarios, then actually, yes, it would be. So. Every property investor needs to get advice around these because it is making compliance a lot tougher. You might think that, you know, you're sitting there doing your own tax return that, yeah, I'm complying with these new rules, but they are very complex. So it is worthwhile getting that additional advice. Even there is a lengthy discussion in this document just talking about mortgage structuring about revolving credits versus offset accounts. So if you take 10 grand and you put that into your revolving credit and then you take it back out, that 10 grand that you just took out is considered new debt. So you just park the money there while you don't need it and then whip it back out. Yeah, but that's considered new debt, right? So then the interest on that new debt, not tax deductible because it's new debt. Put that 10 grand into an offset account and then take it out. Well, then you're not taking on any new debt. So even though it has the same effect, the way you've structured it means that it's considered new debt. So one's more expensive than the other. So offset accounts in this instance actually become a much better way of structuring debt than using a revolving credit. You know, this is if you're taking out new debt. And again, I'm opening myself up to get a lot of texts around oh, this. you are. Where people are going to ask a yeah, lot of If you've of got any questions, questions, just email Ed directly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm not an accountant. It's, uh, for any of these really technical things, please, please talk to Matt or, or your, your, your personal <laughs> property accountant because it, it is worthwhile and these are complex. But these are the key things to talk about structuring. There are some goodies in here. There's a wee lolly scramble for us, but there's also some tougher things in terms of how how you think about structuring your debts and certainly mortgage brokers are going to become a much more valuable resource than they already were because of these changes. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to, first of all, rate, review and subscribe. Helps us get the message out to more people. But also tomorrow is going to be our final episode of this five-part series. Come and to an end. We are going to go through our actual submission, the main things we're going to submit on as part of this consultation process. So tune in tomorrow. It's going to be a banger. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.